0: it's good to see you this morning if you'll take your copy of the bible and turn to the book of hebrews chapter 7 or use the pew bible there in front of you or an ipad or phone or whatever um i want to let the choir for that that last song uh, most people know i'm i'm a pretty big fan of david crowder um the guy that wrote that song but what a lot of people don't probably don't know is i don't like the way david crowder sings that song it just doesn't fit his voice so Lewis, you outcrowded Crowder wherever you are uh, this morning. So I uh, greatly, greatly appreciate that. Um, so growing up, um, used to watch Sesame Street. I, I don't know who else in here watched Sesame Street or or had your kids watch Sesame Street. Uh, there in I mean, Sesame Street was like the greatest thing of the seventies and eighties, I guess. But uh, every every year or every week, every episode of of Sesame Street was always brought to you by like a letter. Now, I still don't know how a letter can bring you a TV show or a number. It was like this letter, this episode of Sesame Street was brought to you by the number eight because eight was the number that they would highlight throughout everything they would do to introduce kids to to numbers. Well, kind of in the vein of Sesame Street, this message is gonna be brought to you by the word great. And I want you to think of the word Great as we go through all of this message together. And start thinking, what what do you think of when you think of great? I mean, maybe you're thinking Great Lakes, and you're like, man, I remember learning about Huron and Superior and all these Great Lakes. Or or, or those of you that listen to early 90s Christian music, think of Stephen Curtis Chapman. This is the great adventure. Or or my house, we like cookies, so we think Great American Cookie Company, or or Thrill Seekers like the Great American Scream Machine up here at Six Flags. There are a lot of things. The Great Wall of China you can see that from the moon at least that's what they told me I've never been to the moon so I can't you know verify or validate that claim but there are all these pictures that come to mind when we hear the word great you think man I really want a great meal today so you go to crystal and there you go you get a great burger at the crystal or, or, or maybe you think, man, I want a great dessert. So you go anywhere that sells ice cream and you're like, this is great. I've got some ice cream. Well, today we're going to be looking at greatness in another way. And if you found your passage of scripture in the book of Hebrews, let me invite you if you're able to stand with me as we read the word of God together, honoring him uh, together this morning. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10 says this. For this, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And, and to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. But then he's also the king of Salem, that is, the king of peace. Peace. But this man, this man who does not have descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Let's pray together. Father, Lord God, the the king of creation, the giver of life, the sustainer, our God, Great are you. Great are you, Lord, our Lord, our God, and your greatness is without measure, Lord. May this morning we stand in awe of how great you truly are. May we step back from everything in life and everything we think that this sermon is going to be about and just stand in the presence of your greatness. For you are a great, great, great God. You were worthy of everything and more that we could ever even imagine giving you. Place your hand on us, Lord. Place your spirit in our midst. Fill us and use us for your kingdom. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So this passage of scripture centers around a man named Melchizedek. And it says there in the middle of the passage in verse 4, it says, how great was this man? And there's this image of greatness that is drawn up surrounding this priest. Now, I'm not going to give away everything about the Abraham-Melchizedek encounter, uh, because we're going to explore that. Up, I think it lands in January because in the end of this month we're going to start a series through the book of Genesis, Christ in the beginning. And look at how Christ was God's eternal plan from before time ever began and from creation through all the way until we get to Joseph at the end. It's about the Christ who would come. So I'm not going to give away all the Melchizedek secrets this morning. So if you want to know, keep coming and you'll get there eventually when we get to Genesis. But this morning, we want to look at the greatness of this man, and, and, and it, just, it just baffles me how, how, how this passage really just resonates with the greatness of God and, and how easy it is to miss it. Because I, I don't think we have a whole lot of issue thinking of great things. I really don't think we have a lot of issue in the church of thinking about how great God is. We can talk about his greatness. We can talk about the wonder of his match. We can talk about the great things of God. I can tell you how great it was to be able to baptize three men in our church all the way from seven to 90 just today. I can tell you how great it is as a dad to be able to baptize your own son. It's a phenomenal experience. But all that pales in comparison with the greatness of God and, and, and how great... He is. And just start thinking about the things that make you think of God's greatness, man. Here in just a few weeks, the leaves are gonna start changing and some of you might head up to Ella Jay or to Blue Ridge or somewhere to look at the leaves. Growing up, we'd go to Hendersonville where my grandparents, where my parents were from. That's where my grandparents lived. And, and I had twin cousins that are just a little bit older than me and they used to always, you could tell that they were locals to the area because they were annoyed at leaf lookers and all the leaf lookers. They're talking about the Yankees. They're talking about people from Virginia um, that came down into the mountains of North Carolina to be leaf lookers clogging up our road and our traffic, looking at the leaves. But man, those leaves. Here, do, do something for me. If you get a chance this fall, in late October, and you've got like seven hours that you have nothing else to do, head up the interstate, go all the way up to Interstate 85 till you get to Spartanburg, and then hang a left on Interstate 26. And as you're going up Interstate 26, you're going to cross into North Carolina around a little town called Tryon. And over to your left is just this expansive valley. And what you're going to see when the leaves change is this phenomenal colors because of the greatness of our God. We, we, we We can look at a beautiful sunrise. One of my favorite things about going to the beach is seeing the sunrise come up over the ocean and just kind of peaks out. And that greatness of God, that God made that. God created that. You can sit around your dinner table and look at your family and think, you know, God is great that he would put these people in my life. And believe me, no matter how messed up your family is, you're part of the reason they're messed up. And it's great that God put you together. You can hold a brand new baby. And you're looking at that little face, you're like, man, this is great. There's a great God that gave me this. But I believe what makes this passage uncomfortable so often for us, even in the church, is that the greatness of God is tied to giving. It's tied to finances. It's tied to the subject matter of tithing. And so let me just back up for a minute before we get into that and and just ask you to to walk through this with me, because this isn't going to be one of those, well, the preacher said I had to give and I don't love Jesus. If I don't give, I'm not going to do that. I'm also not going to tell you, well, if you give God $10 today, he'll give you $100 next week. Because I've been waiting on that one for a long time. But we're going to look at the greatness of God and what happens with Abraham. Because I believe this picture of the greatness of God. And I know you're asking the question, but but this is about a guy named Melchizedek. It says there in verse 4, see how great this man was. This this Melchizedek, who who he was. So, So spoiler alert. I'm convinced that the testimony of scripture is that Melchizedek was not just a man, but he was Christ before the birth. That he was there, there are pictures in the Old Testament, there are times in the Old Testament when there is an appearance of Christ himself, we call him Christophanes, where Christ himself appeared in the flesh in a special occurrence, in a special occasion for that moment and that moment only before his purpose of coming as the born son of God to bear our sin. And I believe that's what happens here, because notice how it's described. He's without father or mother or genealogy. He just kind of appears. I watched the Ghostbusters when I was a kid, but I don't believe in ghosts. And he says that he also had no beginning of days, nor no end of life. It's kind of baffling, isn't it? Then look at his name. It says there in verse three, or verse two. It says he is first by translator's name, King of Righteousness. The name Melchizedek literally means Melik, which is king, and Zadok, which is righteousness. He is literally the king of righteousness. That's his name. You want your child to grow up arrogant? Name them king of righteousness. And, and, and he, he's given this name. And he's also in the city of Salem. Now we have Jerusalem. Yahweh Shalom, the peace of God. And right here, we have this, and you're thinking, man, how in the world does that happen? I don't know how a virgin gives birth outside of the power of the Holy Spirit, but I don't have a problem believing it. I have no problem believing that a God that could create all of this out of nothing, a God who could choose to save us according to his own kind intention and goodwill and then send a baby to be the Savior, I have no problem believing that that same God could place Christ Jesus in the flesh in Abraham's path right then for this very purpose. It's kind of a great God, right? That's kind of where this greatness comes from. But see, here's, here's why we struggle. Because it's like, well, we have got greatness and you have money. And even in the church, that, that kind of starts, you know, people have that kind of reaction right there. Like, you grab that, you're not getting a hold of that wallet. You're not getting the checkbook. Women are clutching their purse a little bit tighter. Here's the deal. We don't have a problem as a society giving to things that we think are great. We, we don't. A Kia will get you just as far down the road as a Mercedes. But we want to put the money, we will put the money into a Mercedes because it is a great car. It's a great brand. You can haul just as much stuff in the back of a a Hyundai SUV as you can a Range Rover. But people are going to put the money into the Range Rover because we think that is great, right? You, you, you start thinking about food, and you're like, "Man, you could go down here to, to Food Depot, or you could go down uh, to, to the grocery store and get yourself your own nice cut of steak right there for about 499, 539 a pound, or you can go and buy the exact same cut of steak at a Ruth's Chris steakhouse for like 84 dollars because the restaurant is great, right? You can go to Walmart and buy your kid a pair of starberries. Tennis shoes. Or you can let them stand in line for and at foot action, foot locker, and drop $150 on a pair of Jordans just because they're great. We don't have a problem doing that, right? We do not have a problem if we think it's great paying a little bit more for something because of the greatness attached to it. But all of that greatness wears out. I used to have a pair of Jordans. Paid $109 for them at the big store in Tifton, Georgia. It was 1994 when I bought these Jordans. you know what happened? They broke. They wore out. So I bought some Ken Griffey Juniors. I paid more for those. You know what happened to those? They broke. They wore out. I I bought another pair of Ken Griffey Juniors. You know what happened to those? They broke. They wore out. I had a Camaro. You know what happened to it? It sat in a barn and it wore out. I had to sell it. It left me on the side of the road a few times. No matter where we place our money in this world, whatever we give to it because we think it's great will always fail us. But here we find in Abraham something different. And so the question that we want to ask, the big question that we're going to ask is how does the greatness of God impact giving in our lives? How does the, impact, the greatness of God impact how we together give? And this isn't a, the preacher said you ought to tie, the pastor put his hand, no, no, that's not what it is. It's just, we're gonna ask the question about God's greatness. In response to what we see with Abraham here. And I believe that it is very crucial and important to to highlight that the 10th part or the tithe is what is in play when this greatness of God question is asked. And the question of, okay, do I tithe or do I not? Does God's greatness compel me or lead me towards tithing, towards giving the 10th part? And we're going to talk about that. But I'm going to give you four things this morning that were true for Abraham that are also true for us Today, four four truths and four impacts of tithing in his life that will impact us today. And it starts in verse one, where we see that Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. The first thing that we see, the first impact here is that generosity prevented greed. Generosity prevented greed. This, this passage is, is, is just so rich with God's power over everything. So just to give you a little background of what's going on, because you're looking at you're reading, your passage like, all right, what I'm seeing here is Melchizedek, king, priest, slaughter of the kings. What in the world is that? And Abraham gave him a tenth part. All right, so here's what's happening. Genesis chapter 14. Excuse me. Here's the nutshell. Genesis chapter 14, Abraham goes and he takes on like four or five kings that had ransacked Sodom and Gomorrah. And the reason he did that was because his nephew Lot was living in Sodom and he was taken as a captive and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, they were unable to go against, um, I could give you names like Calamacer and, and Anazer and these other people that were involved, but you're not going to remember them anywhere. So here's what you need to know. Abraham was going after his nephew. That was his next of kin. That, that, was, that, was his, that was his flesh and blood. And he said, I, I, I'm, I'm going to take care of my boy, so I'm going to go after these people, and I'm going to get him. So Abraham takes a group of 318 men and wipes out five different kings and their armies. Sodom and Gomorrah couldn't handle them. But Abraham did. And you know what Abraham did? When you win something, you take the spoil. You take the spoil. You, you, you collect, that's what Ephesians was about, right? He ascended on high and took the captain's captain and blessed all of those and gave gifts to all that were his people. God decided to bless us with every spiritual blessing. This was a victory thing. So here comes Abraham. He's marching back to where he was living and he has all the spoils of his conquest. He has everything that he possibly could imagine needing right there. And he intersects this Melchizedek right there in the middle. And you know what he does? He gives him something. He he gives him a 10th part. This was such a generous move. This was such a bold move. He didn't know who Melchizedek was. It wasn't like he was watching his TV broadcast and him preaching and saying, I need to support that ministry. One day when I have money, I'll be able to do that. It wasn't like, man, I've been going to Melchizedek's church, man. Melchizedek, he, he, he's a pretty good preacher. He's a decent pastor. I like the guy, so, so when, when I make a little more money, I'm going to make sure I give money to his church. It wasn't anything like that. It says here that Melchizedek, the king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham as he was returning home from the slaughter of the kings. And Abraham, in response to the greatness of what was happening right here, and this is why it's important to see the hand of God and the greatness of God in all of this, gives him a tenth part. Ten percent. See, in the Hebrew mind, generosity surrounded the 10th part. This was an ex- exercise of generosity. I believe that Christians should be the most generous people the world has ever known. And let's think back to the book of Acts. We've been walking through the book of Acts with our college class on Sunday mornings. And, and the thing that continues to come up and come up in the book of Acts is how this church, man, they didn't, they didn't have you know, this, this nice put together leather bound Bible. They didn't have leather-bound scrolls or anything. They didn't have these deep theology classes. What did they have? They had generosity, hospitality, and the common confession of their faith. That's what they had. And the Holy Spirit was using that. And time and time again, the book of Acts, you see that as anyone had need, those within the church, they met the need. It was a continued exercise of generosity, of generosity, of generosity. Why? Because they saw the greatness of God. This early church knew how powerful God was to save and so the, and they gave out of the joy because they were generous, they weren't greedy. See, greed sneaks in and it hides in the background says, no, get what's yours and keep it. Get what's yours and use it for you. But see, when we start looking at this understanding of the greatness of God, we start seeing how actually being generous and giving because of who God is protects us from this greed and this clutch and this hold. And here it says that this priest of the Most High God, that this Melchizedek was given the tenth part. A statement of generosity. But then, what we find starting in verse 2 and verse 3 was how giving connected Abraham to God's heart. Look at what he says. He, Melchizedek, is first by translation of his name the king of righteousness. And he is also the king of Salem, that is, the king of peace. He's without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he he resembles or continues as a priest forever. (coughs) Excuse me. Look look at what Abraham's doing here. Abraham had all of the reason in the world to believe that the hand of God was on him. I mean, come on. He just took out a couple of kingdoms, a band of kings that are together, took them all out with 318 men. That's pretty good. That's pretty solid, right? You'd have to under, have a little understanding that your God's a little more powerful if you could do something like this. I mean, I, I've never been in the military. I was rejected by the Marine Corps because I had you know, cartilage problems in my, in my knees when I was 18. Didn't really want to go in the Marine Corps, but I knew they would reject me, so I tried. Um, and and because I knew I, was, I knew God had called me to do something else, but you know it, it kind of worked. I'll give you that story a little bit later. But I, I was But I watched Rambo. You remember Rambo? Man, that dude took out an entire town of Washington by himself. The entire sheriff's department rendered helpless by this one dude that was trained to be this killing machine by the army. And then they brought him back and he took out like half of South Vietnam all by himself. Dude was phenomenal. Abraham had like this band of Rambos that went in there and took out. But here's what happens Abraham comes back and he sees God's hand, not on what he had done, but in this encounter with Melchizedek. Where do you get righteousness and peace? From God. Who is the one that can supply to you the righteousness necessary to be pleasing to God? God. Who is the one that can give you a peace that surpasses all understanding? God. What did God do? God gave. You know this one. For God so loved the world That he gave. What did he give? His son. He didn't give Porsches and mansions. He didn't give wardrobes and bank accounts and stock options and bonds. He gave his very own son. The greatest demonstration of love that he could ever give. No greater love hath any man than this, that he would lay down his life for for his friends. And Jesus says, you're my friends if you do what I show you to do. This is the demonstration, and this is why we give, and this is what the tithe and the tenth part is about. It's not about making sure the church has enough money. It's about saying, God, I'm connected to you because when we had a when when, when we were when we were without, you supplied, you gave, and everything I have, you have given, so I give because of you. It's a connection to the very heart of a God who gives. But then verse 4 shows us how trust overcame fear for Abram. Look what happens. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. It's notable that he identifies Abraham the patriarch. Because the author of Hebrews is writing to a bunch of Christians who came out of the Jewish faith. That's why they were the Hebrew Christians, they were the Hebrews. And he's writing to them because the line of thought always went back to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to the patriarchs, to the, to the ones that God had, to whom God had given the true promise of who they would be in the possession of a land and, and, and being God's people. And all of those promises were bound up in Abram. And what happened here is Abraham has gone and he has just had this awesome military conquest and he has just taken all the spoils and he is on his way way back and he sees the greatness of the son of God before him and gives in accordance to that he didn't wait to see what would happen see here's the thing Abraham wasn't like us you get a paycheck now and you've already thought about the different ways you're going to spend it right See, we get paid every two weeks on Friday here at the church. So you might get paid once a week, once a month, whatever. So, you know, you, you, can, you can start looking at, okay, I got I to I pay this bill, and I got to do this, I got to have this. Abraham didn't wait till he got home to say, all right, now I got to talk to Sarah about how I'm going to spend this spools, and, and, and I got to make sure that I have enough to, I, 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 bought, some, I bought some goats on credit from, from my boy over here across the river, and I got to make sure I pay him for those goats. And, and I no, He gave the 10th part before anything panned out. He wasn't even home. He he wasn't even to the bank with the check and he already knew that I've got to give this to God. And that is frightening for so many of us. Just just close your eyes for a second and just ask yourself the question, can I take 10% of my income and not live on it? It's kind of fearful for a lot of people, isn't it? it? It kind of strikes fear. I've never been more convinced of how honoring God here overcomes fear than ten years ago, right after Chris and I got married. <clears throat> See, we got married in December, and because of that, we had to roll off of health insurance from each of our parents because uh, the the laws surrounding health and health insurance and health care those times where you get married, you know, you you can't stay on your parents' plan for a little while, so. So we had to apply, and, and Guidestone Financial Resources of the Southern Baptist Convention, it used to be the annuity board, they had this insurance plan called the Seminarian Plan. It was like $200 a month, and you know, I guess you were pretty much covered, sort of, maybe. <laughs> might have had coverage. Um, it, it, it might it have worked in some places. But we had not been approved because we had to go through all the underwriting. So I sent all this stuff. We got married in, in, in December, sent all this stuff off in January, and we're just waiting. We're waiting and we're waiting and we're like, man, don't get sick, don't get sick, don't get sick. And then it happened. The first Friday of February 2008, Christy starts getting this tremendous pain right over here. And so we're thinking, all right, could be an appendix, could be liver, could be gall. We had no idea, but we didn't have insurance. We were students, both of us working part-time jobs. We had no idea what we were gonna do. So we decided suck it up a little bit. Saturday comes around, not any progress. Sunday comes around, she's miserable. She's like, I'm not going to church today. I can't go to church. Today. I'm not getting out of bed. So I went to church. Monday comes around, and I call the insurance. I'm at work. I was working in construction. Chrissy's at home in bed, and I call insurance. I said, look, I've got to get my wife to a doctor today. We applied for this insurance. What in the world is going on? And they said, okay, well, here's the deal. Um, You actually were approved on Friday. We just haven't sent you all the paperwork because it's going to be processed this week, but you have insurance coverage. I said, okay. So I go to the hospital, I don't have an insurance card. They said, that's fine, wait, they'll send you the bill Then you can refer, all this stuff. So, good, I call Christy. Christy, we're gonna take you to the hospital, we've got insurance today. I call my boss, I'm leaving because I gotta take Christy to the hospital today. So I take her to the hospital. And for hours were there in the hospital and the doctors did these scans and everything. And, and, and they, fi- they find out that she's got something blocking that, that tube that connects from your kidney down to your bladder. And so it's swollen up like this, like the Nile River when it floods or whatever, and it's backed up into her kidney. And all this is going on. They've got her hooked up to this IV antibiotic because the doctor comes in and says, we've got to transport you from this hospital to one of our other hospitals on the other side of Raleigh by ambulance, because tomorrow morning, we've got to go in and we've got to operate we've got to figure out what's going on with this and get this squared away and I'm sitting there going what in the world did we just get into and so at two o'clock in the morning I'm following an ambulance from from uh, uh, one campus of Wake Med to another campus of Wake Med all I can see is her face through the window and she's looking at the ambulance drivers she's in pain she's trying to figure out what's going on I'm just praying God don't let her die please we get to the hospital she doesn't have a private room so I didn't stay I drove 45 minutes back to our apartment, took an hour and a half nap, drove back to the hospital. And by that time, Christy's dad had gotten there and her mom and stepdad were on the way from, from South Carolina up to Raleigh. We get there, the doctors do another scan and they look and they realize, hey, something's happened, but this blockage is gone and everything's draining fine. We know this was the hand of God. We know this was healing. And then three weeks later, we get a bill from the hospital for over 18000 $18,000. And I'm thinking, how in the world are we going to pay this? I was scared. So I called the hospital and said, look, we didn't have our insurance card yet, so we were covered. They said, well, give us your insurance information. So we gave them the insurance information. Two weeks later, we get another bill in the, in the mail from the hospital for about $3,200, something like that. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know how I'm going to pay this. I make three seventy-five dollars a week. Christy makes two fifty dollars a week. We can't pay for this. We, we can't. So I had a conversation with a couple of people. They said, just call the hospital and find out what they can do. I called the hospital because I told Christy, I said, the only way we can pay this is if we don't give money to the church anymore because that's the only non-bill that we have in our entire finances. And we had that conversation and we decided we're not doing that. We're giving to God what's his. We're we're going to We had gone through a a financial training thing through the church and it was great. and It was eye-opening for both of us and we had made a commitment. We're going to give. And, and I was like, God, I don't know how this is going to work out. I, I, I don't know how, but I've got to give to you and I'm going to give to you and I'm going to honor you and I'm going to lead my family in this, but I don't know how it's going to pan out. I called the hospital I said, look, here's our situation. And I know you hear this from everybody. Everybody's calling and saying, I can't pay my bill, but here, listen, just hear my heart. And they sent me a form to fi- file to fill out and send back in. they sent us another bill that had zeros at the bottom because we were full-time students and we were both working part-time jobs. Now, Now, that's not the cool part of the story. The cool part of the story happens in January of 2009 when we get that piece of paper in the envelope from our church, Open Door Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. That was our giving statement for 2008 and it was within $10 of what that hospital bill was. God said, I will supply all of your needs. Abraham wasn't so much concerned about the 10% because he knew how great God was. See how great this man was that even Abraham would give a tenth portion of all of his spoils to him. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you if you just tithe today, then God's going to make sure you get all that money back. But I will tell you this. If you're not honoring God with your finances, then you're not honoring God. He doesn't get all of you minus the checkbook, He gets all of you or none of you. And I know it's terrifying. I know it's terrifying and and, and sometimes we have to, we we try to put the numbers in our mind we're like, well, if I give God that 10%, then I'm not going to be able to pay for this or be able to do that. Most of the time, as I've sat down with people over the years, we've looked at budgets, most of the reason they're not giving to God is because they're more concerned with making sure they have money for movie tickets or making sure they have money for extra meals out or making sure they have money for all of these non-essentials rather than honoring God. Don't be afraid of what you won't have. Trust God trust him. Because why? He's great. He's great. And then we see the next reason in verse six and seven, that the true blessings were realized. Look at what he goes on. He says, these are the descendants of Levi who received the priestly office and have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is their brothers and sisters. Though these are also descendants of of Abraham. So he's bringing the, the, the personal side of things, like, well, you know, you're talking about giving this money to, to the church and give this money to God, but I see like the same four people taking up the offering, and, and you're the pastor, so doesn't just no, it's it's not about that. Look at what he goes on to say. But this man who does not have his descent from them received the tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Who had the promise of God to be a great nation? The one by whom all nations we be blessed, Abraham. And Melchizedek stood to bless him with the true blessing, not the spoils, not the the conquest, the the true blessings. And he goes on and says, it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. And I love that statement. I love it. Because it brings us back to the greatness of God. It brings us back to, to why we would give. Not so much that we can say, "All right, I gave, so God's going to give back to me," but because of how great God is, that we the inferior would be blessed by Him the superior. It is a statement of faith to step back and say, "I know that You are the true and living God." He goes on and says, "He goes on and says, um, um, excuse me." In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that He lives. Jesus Christ lives. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, is seated at his right hand right now. He lives. And when we give, it's because of the blessing he has bestowed upon our lives, because that is the true blessing, because he is great. So the question we have to ask now is how great is our God? How great is He? How great is our God? Is He great enough to overcome your fear in giving? Is He great enough to overcome your greed? Is He great enough to overcome your lack? Is He great enough to overcome your insufficiency? He did on the cross for your sin. What you lacked in righteousness, where you were insufficient in, in gaining his, his glory and gaining His, his trust, He gave. Because he's great. See how great is our God. See how great is our God as we give.